0: Amen. It's been a great day. How many of you are anticipating awesome things for 2019? This is not a wasted year. This is not going to be a year that has been the same old, same old. When I was in prayer this past week, prayer and fasting, the Lord impressed on me an interesting word. He says, Ray, tell Open Heavens Church that it's time to make a turn or a U-turn for some of us. Sometimes we don't necessarily need to make a significant U-turn in our life, but maybe we need to twa- tweak a little bit of our direction. God wants to bring a sense of direction. He wants to reset your faith and reset your life and reset. You know, years ago, when, we, when computers came out, the internet came out, my wife and I, we used to get a lot of bugs and viruses and worms on our computer. Now, my wife is a computer guru. But I would get on the computer, and I'd start typing away or look at, doing some research, and my computer froze. How do ever have your computer just freeze? You can't get the thing to work. And then the, the sad thing for me was my wife would be gone. Maybe she'd be at the church or somewhere else, and I, I couldn't... I, I would do everything. I would pull the plug on the computer. I'd Push stop and try to get it going. One day she just said, Ray, chill out. Just just cool off. She comes in, and right on the keyboard, there's a little button that says reset. She hits that reset, boom, everything works. And I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was an ignorant man. But she just knew how to boop and boom, you know, the thing just works. Of course, she shut the computer off, started up again after the reset button, it worked. And it it, it kind of blew me away that she 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 just was so it was so easy for her, and I was sitting there sweating for an hour trying to get my button to work. Well, God is coming, I believe, and He's coming. And how many of you appreciated what Pastor Galen said last week? I believe that was a tremendous prophetic word as he spoke about prophetic promises. I want to say to each and every one of you, God comes this morning as he has a prophetic promise, a prophetic word, and it's the kind of word that wants to bring a reset in your life, and he wants to launch you into those promises. He doesn't intend for you to stay stuck anymore. And I pray. And So I want you to jump with me to Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to be speaking on a series this month The title of this series is Great Faith. Amen. Amen. Now, when we talk about faith, a lot of people believe that faith has to do with just what you believe in your head. Do you know that there are tens of thousands of people today in, across America, around the world actually, that are going to church, and they're going to church to have someone give them information and those sermons will be filled with stories and they will be st- filled with principles and those stories will be in- intended to help build or feed your faith. And it's important for us to feed our faith. It's important for us to feed on the word. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing. But I learned a long time ago, if I'm not hearing right, I'm not going to eat right. If I'm not hearing right, if my hearing in my judgment is impaired because my brain has been scrambled with the kind of teaching or maybe I have a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation who Father God is, guess what? I am not going to hear. Now, the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. In order for me to understand faith, because how many believe God, before I have faith, before my faith becomes great faith, I need to have a great encounter. See, the purpose, faith doesn't come by indoctrination. Faith doesn't just come by teaching or principles or concepts that are being conveyed or even necessarily stories. Those things can help us in growing in the knowledge of who Jesus is, and I'm not in any way shape, this morning suggesting that you don't need teaching. We need teaching. We need the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God imparts and empowers us to understand who He is. But if the Word of God doesn't come in such a way that helps us to understand our Heavenly Father and know who Jesus is for the sake of a relationship then our hearing is in vain. We're not hearing right. And so what happens? We leave, we come, we hear a word, and we go out and say, oh, that was a great message. What did he say? And so there's, there's been no, and this is the key word here, it's the word impartation. Everyone say impartation. See, so you can come for years and never receive an impartation. There was a gentleman years ago in Bible Temple where I came from. I was stunned. It was a Thanksgiving service. It was when Pastor Iverson. every year we would have a thanks. How many of you remember Thanksgiving services? When everybody gets up and gives a testimony. And there was a man that was in our church for 20 years. His name was Neil Bartrug. He's with the Lord today. But he said something during our testimony service that was a shock to our entire, uh, our entire congregation. Everyone was getting up and saying, I'm so thankful that Jesus healed me. I'm so grateful that I got that promotion. I'm so grateful for a great year where, where our families got together and we saw some healing. Neil Bartrug was at every church service. As a young boy growing up in that church, I remember seeing Neil, his wife, awesome wife, and his kids. His kids were in our youth group. We went to the same church, but about 20 years later, at a Thanksgiving service, Neil was kind of a quiet guy. His wife was more talkative, but he was a little more quiet. But Neil got up, and Neil walks down the aisle to stand in line to give a testimony. Neil doesn't do a lot of talking. But when Neil comes down to the mic, he takes a hold of the mic. And by the way, Neil was just, he came to church every Sunday. He, he came to work days, he came to the men's outreaches, he came to camp meetings, with special. Neil was always around at the service, a great guy. But he gets up and he stands before the people and he says, I, I'm so grateful that such a great church and it's been a blessing to be here, but I, I just want everybody to know that I finally had an encounter with Jesus and I'm now saved. We were shocked. What, what do you mean you're now saved? He came to church for years. But what he realized there was nothing in here. He went through the ritual of church. He went through the ritual. Of, how many of you know you can be around Jesus? How many of you know you can be blessed by the fact that Jesus multiplies the bread and feeds the thousand? How many of you know you can be around Jesus as he heals the sick? You can even follow Jesus but still not really accept him. He's really not in In, in, in. Everyone say in. In. If any man be in Christ, in him. Old things pass away, all things become new. When Neil got up and said, I'm so grateful that I've come to know Jesus. We're all Neil, Is that Neil? Did Neil say that? Did Neil, was that? I thought Neil was a great guy. He's so nice. He's such a blessing. But Neil... Finally realized, I was never born again. To be born again means you're born from above. Do you know when eternity starts? Do you know when time ends and eternity starts? It's not when you die, it's when you're born again. Eternity doesn't start when you actually physically, eternity starts when you say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I accept you, not do I only follow you, but I know you. I know you, and he knows me. You did not choose him. The Bible says he chose you. And see, great faith does not come by great doctrine. It doesn't come by great meetings. It doesn't even come because of a miracle. Do you know it's possible for you to believe God for a miracle and get a healing? but still not be saved? You may say, well, Pastor Ray, where's that in the Bible? There's a passage in Luke where Jesus, it says, he went to Capernaum, he went to Tyre, and he went to Sidon. This is in the northwestern side of Galilee. He went to these three major cities, the, and it says this, Jesus went and did many mighty works in those three cities. But then Jesus did another trip into those cities. He came back to Capernaum and Sidon and Tyre. He came back to those cities where many mighty works, great revivals, resurrections, healing, demons were cast out. People thronged him. But when he comes back, he doesn't come back with a message of miracles. He comes back this time with a message of warning. And he said, he came back and he said, he was looking to see if the people had truly repented. That's what it says. It's in the book of Luke. He saw, did did they repent? Did they just get excited about the meeting, the healings, the miracles, the demons cast out, and the miracles of bread and the feeding? Or have they truly repented? Now, let's don't get messed up about the word repent. The word repent does not mean try harder. Repent doesn't mean to be just feeling bad or it doesn't mean, okay, now I'm going to start going to church more. I'm going to start reading my Bible. Repentance has nothing to do with you trying anything. Repentance means simply to position yourself Open your heart to simply receive what he says and believe it as he says it and let him transform your life. That's what it means to repent. It means that you are no longer the boss. You are no longer in charge of your life. You now look to him as the one who leads in God. Jesus said this in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now, I want to just say this about this concept of great faith. Great faith comes by great encounters. If you've never had an encounter with Jesus... Doctrine, concepts, principles, teaching, church attendance, tithing, praying, fat, you can go through it. Those things are not, I'm not trying to make light of those things, but if you've never had an encounter with Jesus, then you're going to feel a sense of shame, a sense of guilt, like maybe you felt left out. Let me tell you something. The Lord impressed on me that Jesus sometimes makes encounters that is it's pretty huge, like the Apostle Paul had an encounter Road to Damascus, light out of heaven. He was blind for three days. Actually, I'm grateful I never had an encounter like that. But there's times where God encounters you all the time. It might even be through different people. It may be in your own prayer closet. It might be when you're washing dishes. Jesus can encounter you, and it becomes a quickened word. Something quickens your heart and your mind. You're quickened. And it begins to change how you see life. Jesus said this, and I pray you listen to me on this. Jesus said this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now what Jesus was trying to say, he didn't say repent, get into church more often, read your Bibles and try harder. No, what he was saying is repent so I can impart, everyone say impart, I want to impart a new kingdom culture. God wants to impart a culture into your life. How many of you know we have a political culture right now at war? There, we are in the perfect storm in America right now. You've got the Democrats and the Republicans. It's called two cultures that are, bam, hitting each other. You can't turn the news on without seeing these two. What a culture is, by the way, a culture is a grid. It has to do with core values. It has to do with what draws or persuades you. Your core value or your culture is the thing that begins to drive or draw you, and it begins to take a hook. It it begins to capture your heart and your mind and puts passion. Everyone say passion. Passion and motivation. You're motivated by something that you believe in. Your faith is going to be directed by the things that capture, captivate your heart. This morning, every single one of you, some of you may have a passion for sports. Some of you may have a passion in your job. Some of you may have a passion for some things that are really dark. Maybe you have a passion to look good. Maybe your passion is to be so appealing so people will admire you. Those kind of things are passions. That becomes the grid you see through. And so we need to we need to ask ourselves: Is my passion to find approval? I want to find approval. I want people to like me. I want, I want to have a boyfriend. I want to have a girlfriend. I want, to, I want a husband. I, I want. I want. I desire all these things. And see, these things become part of your culture, your makeup, what well, everyone else is. I, I, I need to make more. I need to go to college to make more money so I can live in a particular status of life. And so that becomes your grid. But here's the thing: when you pursue that kind of thing, the Bible says it only bring you to a place of of really not satisfying at all. But here's, here's the thing when it comes to our culture. The kingdom is a culture that Jesus introduced so that we as a people begin to live in a lifestyle. Because here's the thing, great faith will become dynamic faith and ultimately become contagious faith. God wants your faith to be contagious but it has to be first dynamic. How many of you know a person, how many here have ever heard someone passionately talking about something they like? Maybe it's football. How many have ever been around somebody, I was around somebody who just loves to talk about cars. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a car, but this guy, every time I'd be around him, he'd always talk about what he's buying, what he was selling. Cars, cars, cars. I remember one time trying to get into a discussion, I said, How's the Lord in your life? Well, God's pretty good. But I can tell you about the 1942 Ford I just bought. And it meant he could just go and talk about cars and selling and buying. The, and let me tell you, his grid, his culture, was being with guys. He'd go to these parking lots, and they loved to talk and show their cars and open their hoods and look at their big Hemis and their engines and all. They let, the guy was into cars. That was his culture. Let me ask you, does the kingdom of God and the culture of the kingdom abide in your home and in your life? Amen? And so what what that culture means, part of that culture means is when you're in a culture of the kingdom, guess what? One of the most natural things, because you're in love with Christ, one of the most natural things for you to do is you'd love to talk about the Lord. Have you ever talked about the Lord and thought people just kind of bow out? One thing I know, Carol and I, I want to say this carefully, But we don't get invited to a lot of people's houses because we carry something. I don't know what it is. Well, Pastor Ray's here. Hide the beer. The pastor's here. God help us. That's sad. You know what? Bring out the beer. If you want to bring out Jack Daniels, go ahead. I'm not going to judge you for that. Jesus went to the house of Matthew. I guarantee they had Jack Daniels. They had pot, heroin, and probably methamphetamines. And Jesus still loved them. Well, Pastor Ray, it's, I just know when you see it. Well, guess what? Maybe the light is shining on some dark places that the God wants to heal. Maybe not. But you know what? Our culture determines our passion. Our passion determines what we actually pursue. It determines our community of friends. Our culture does. Birds of a feather flock together, and you're going to join yourself with people that have this. Now, Jesus was introducing the kingdom because it was a kingdom of life, a kingdom of love, and it's a kingdom of honor. But guess what? When he came preaching the kingdom, the message was too good to believe. It was too high for them to accept. That's why the Pharisees hated Jesus. But there was a man in the Bible here in Matthew chapter 8. For the sake of time, I won't read it. But in Matthew chapter 8, it was a centurion guard. He was a military leader, high-ranking guy. He had a lot of status, and he had a lot of power. This man had a lot of money and a lot of favor, and he had from Caesar himself, and he was a man who represented Caesar. And for him to say what he does in Matthew chapter 8 would almost be a form of uh, of betrayal or treason possibly. But what happens, he has a problem. If you're going to understand the culture of the kingdom and if we want to have great faith, everyone say great faith. I've got to understand God's purpose for problems. Problems. How many here have a problem in your life? I got lots of problems. Let me tell you, there there has been a day in my life where I actually said, God, will you take the problem away? Do you know what I was also praying at the same time? Lord, I pray for more miracles. Oh, Lord, I pray your kingdom come, thy will be done. The Lord was saying, I'm trying to do that, right? And I'm thinking, Lord, come down and solve the problems. Do the miracles. Count the demons out. Deal with this. Deal with that. And God says, no, I'm going to initiate some problems. Problems are part of building your faith. You don't run from the problem. You look at it with a fresh new set of eyes, a fresh new vision. Everyone say, problem. Now this passage, we find that there was a problem. The centurion soldier had a servant in his house and he loved him. But he's a military man. But somewhere along the way, the centurion soldier heard the message about Jesus. And the message was a message of life. It was a message of hope. It was a message where he was honoring sinners. And he wasn't justifying their sin, but he was loving them. He was empowering life to them. And that man made a decision. He repented. Now, he didn't come to a church service. He didn't go to a Billy Grum crusade. But the idea of repentance was that he made an exchange where he had to put his doubts, his political views... He had to even put his own military status at risk because he loved this servant. And what did he do? He comes to Jesus in chapter 8, verse 5, and he asks Jesus, and he says, Would you heal? Would you heal my servant who is tormented? He's tormented and he's paralyzed. And what does Jesus say? I'm coming to your house. How many of you like Jesus to come to your house? But something happens instead. The centurion says, no, no. Don't come to my house. What he was saying is, I know your Jewish customs. I'm a Gentile. And according to your Jewish customs, I'm not just a Gentile. I'm a Gentile dog. You Jews are superior and everyone else is inferior. And he says, I know that if you come to my house, I know this customary concern of defilement. So Jesus, you don't have to come to my house because I know your culture. I know the power of your kingdom. And I understand how you're operating because I've had a revelation. Not, It wasn't a revelation based upon just a spoken word because he says this to Jesus. He says, I am a man under authority and I have authority. I tell these people to go and they go, but I'm also a man under authority, but I also have authority to tell other people what to do. And he says, if you would just give the word, Jesus, my servant will be whole. For years, I used to think that he got the right answer. Amen. He won the Jeopardy game. But that was not the issue. Jesus was not just looking for the right answer. And it wasn't just giving the right answer. This man had a revelation. Listen, He had a revelation of a hidden mystery. Do you know that great faith only comes when we, and I so appreciate what Gay said this morning. I don't know if you heard what she said. The Bible says the just shall live by what? Faith. It does not say that the just shall live by understanding. It says the God shall live by faith. Let me tell you, when you begin to believe God and you begin to, let me tell you, when you start believing God, you're going to start having encounters. And when you start having encounters, hang on to this. You're going to begin to face contradictions. You're going to experience dilemmas. You're going to begin to experience things that are outside the box of what is the norm of your mind. God will blow your mind. And if you're a thinker, If you're a person that has to rationalize and reason and think, guess what? You're going to miss it. But if you're a man of faith, here's the point. God wants... Here's the reason why the centurion soldier was known. There's only two people, a Canaanite woman and the centurion soldier. Only two people in the New Testament where Jesus highly commends this man and the Canaanite woman in another text as one who having great faith. But when I read this down here, I want you to see it at the bottom. And Jesus in verse 10 says, Surely I say unto you, I have not found one, not one, with such great faith. Not even in Israel. Verse 11, I say unto you, that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, by the way, speaking of the Jews here, will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth speaks of great regret. They're under regret. I want to share something with you. Several years ago, when I got out of Bible school, I got a great job, Boyd Coffee Company, and uh, I bought a brand new 1974... A, a Chevrolet a Camaro. I mean, I had a great job. We were making good money for a single guy. Got my own apartment. And it was my dream. And guess what else? I decided to do at that time, and I did. I had the money to do it. I was paying my tithes. The Lord was blessing me. I took flying lessons. Here, uh, how many here have ever taken a flying lesson in your life? Well, you are the smart people. Uh, uh, but I decided to get into flying lessons in Troutdale, east side of Portland. A small airport, they were giving pilot's license. Back there, you could get your pilot's license and and get VFR certified. VFR means visual certification for $3,000. Today, it costs 10 grand to get your VFR pilot's license. Well, I decided to do my ground school. I was doing my ground school, and after about six weeks of ground school, I got to go up with my instructor. His name was Rick Rick Oliver, and he took me up on my very first flight in a Cessna 1, uh, 152, small four-seater. I mean, I called it the Mosquito. This thing was so tiny. He put me in the pilot seat or the captain seat. He was in the uh, uh, first officer or the co captain seat. And that's the way they always fly. Instructors put your pilots because they're training you to fly. And so we're driving down. We're flying. We're getting ready for takeoff. And we get up to about 70 knots. And he said, all right, pull back on the yoke. And all of a sudden, man, the Gs are hitting my bottom, and I'm going up. And, but all of a sudden, out of trout, Hill, the air currents are just shifting. And I'm going sideways, and I'm trying to straighten it out with the rudders on the floor and keeping the yoke steady. And as we're flying higher, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 feet, he says, turn bank. We're going to make 30 degrees to left. We're going to head towards Mount Hood. It was going to be an hour flight. And I was having a am going to tell everybody, anybody can fly an airplane. You can all do this. Amen? Don't shout me down here. You can do this. I loved it. I, I lo- I've always loved aviation. In fact, I have a computer game that's great. If you want to know about it, I'll tell you about it. But anyway, it's great aviation. And I was flying. I, we were starting to head up uh, towards Mount Hood, towards Government Camp. 30-minute flight one way. 30 minutes back, we were landing. But on the way back, a, a strong cold front came over the valley. And within minutes... We are in a whiteout. We are at 7,000 feet in a whiteout. And guess who panicked? And you know what? I said, I can't see the ground. You know, when you're flying an airplane, I want to know where the ground is. Folks, it was white. We were in a heavy, dense fog. Rick Oliver, by the way, who was an ex-Navy pilot, he was uh, getting a certification to fly commercial jets, he said, Ray, let me take the yoke. You know what the guy does? He takes a nosedive. And he, for five minutes, is destroying me. He's teasing me. And he starts doing, I mean, he takes this one, by the way, that Cessna 152 is a tough play. He takes it in a nosedive. He pulls some negative and positive G's, and I'm starting to get sick. I'm like, I want to see the ground. I want to see the ground. And he says, come on. And he's just, he's totally at peace. He's having no problem, and I'm panicking. You know why? Because I have to see what I know is safe. Anyway, after about five minutes of tormenting me, he stabilizes the ground. He says, Ray, did you ever look at your your instrument panel? I said, no. He said, look at your altimeter. I want you to see how high we are. We were 7,000 feet up. And he says, it, the, the fog level, is the, the, the hard deck down there is about 3,000 feet. He says, we're doing fine. This guy was a total piece, And he said this, if you're ever going to fly airplanes, you need to understand that you cannot trust how you think and what you see. You have to trust your instruments. And see, what he did, see, repentance means changing the way I think. Now the reason why he was at peace cuz he trusted his instruments. How many of you know that following the Holy Spirit's like that sometimes. Sometimes God is asking us to trust him. Now notice here what Jesus said. He says that he in the kingdom. The centurion soldier was not even a disciple of Jesus, but he was in the kingdom and here's why. He was in the kingdom because he chose to believe what he did not totally understand. I want you to see something with me. Jump over with me to John chapter 5. Just a few more minutes, a few more scriptures as we're embarking on this passage on great faith. John 5, I want you to see how Jesus introduces the kingdom. He just heals this man at the pool of Bethesda and the... In the Jews, it says, verse 16, persecuted Jesus. For this reason, the Jews persecuted and sought to kill him because he'd done these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, my father has been working until now, and I've been working. Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, listen to this, but also said that God was his father making himself equal with God. Guess what the culture is all about? The culture is about honoring the Son and the Son honoring you. Do you know that God wants to help, un- help you to understand that we are to walk in favor? We're to walk in the kind of power and life where we can command, where we can speak life, where we can speak with confidence that we are one with the Father? Do you know that John 17, Jesus said, Father, the glory that you've given me, I have given them. We're to walk with that same confidence. Great faith comes by a great understanding of what Jesus has done. Now, jump down with me. Same chapter, John chapter verse 37. I'm really in the middle of a text here. It says, And the Father himself who sent me has testified to me. And he says this, verse in the middle of 37, You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Notice what Jesus is saying. You haven't heard his voice. You haven't seen his form. And then he says this, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, you do not believe. Stop right there. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. These are scholars, these are doctrines of the law, of the Torah, the, the, the Pentateuch. And notice what it says here. Jesus said, you may study the Word, but you don't have the Word. It's not abiding. There's been no impartation. There's been no encounter. You have it up here. And you're trying so hard to wrap your brain about what the Word says that you're missing the point, and the point is me, Jesus. You're missing me. You're missing the relationship part. You're using the Bible to try to fix Your life. Do you know, like I said in the beginning, there's a lot of people today, their faith is in hearing a teaching so they can try harder because they're trying to analyze and criticize and they're trying to fix their life by how to, how do I think about this? I want to tell you something. How many of you know that forgiveness does not make sense? How about fasting does not make sense? Here's one. Tithing does not make sense. The baptism of the Holy Spirit does not make sense. And if you're waiting for something to make sense, I'm going to just tell you what the Bible says. You're not in the kingdom because you're not in faith. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus says right here in this text because this is the ground of great faith. He says, you, verse 39, you search the scriptures And in them, oh, stop, in them you think. Guess what our problem is? We're trying to think. We're trying to think how the Bible says what it says. And you know what? He's not asking you to think first. He wants you to come first and think later. He wants you to trust and obey first and think later. But you know what religion does? I'll think first and when it makes sense first, then I'll come. God says that's not faith. Faith says come. Peter was in a storm and he said, Lord, can I walk on water? What did Jesus say? Think about it. No, he said, come. And what was the thing holding him? It wasn't the water. It was the word that was in his heart. You see, God's asking you, great faith starts by coming first, thinking later. Are you with me on this? See, great faith is not about your thinking. See, the thing that gave great faith to the centurion soldier is he couldn't think. He simply received because he recognized Jesus is under authority. He had a revelation of a hidden mystery. The culture of the kingdom is relationship. And the strength of that relationship is what he had with the father and the centurion soldier saw it and it put him in the kingdom. And so here Jesus said, in them you think you have eternal life, but these are things which lead to me. But you're not willing to come. Notice the two words. I tie the two words together. You come first, you think later. But a lot of people say, you know what? It doesn't make sense to me. How many of you know that when you come into the culture of the kingdom, you're going to come into a culture of mysteries? And when you come into the culture, I'm going to say this right off the bat you're going to have questions. When you start following Jesus, you're going to have some hard questions. You're going to face some contradictions. God's not trying to hurt or abuse. He's not trying to make your life more miserable. What he's doing is preparing you for the unseen realm of heaven on earth. He's preparing you for miraculous thinking. But he has to conquer your brain. He has to get your thinking aside in teaching you to walk by blind faith. Everyone say blind. Blind. Sometimes we have to learn to see the invisible rather than looking at the visible. And notice what he says here. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have what? Life. I can't have life until I come but you're never going to have life if you're trying to analyze it. I've talked to so many people say, you know, Pastor Ray, my goal in life is just to get strong. I want to be a strong man. I want to figure it out. I want to be able to figure and analyze how I need to take the processes that I need. I need to, pro- I need to think. I need to try harder because my, my sense, of, my sense of, uh, of, of identity and my sense of purpose and value is what I know. What I know, I remember one time years ago talking to a young woman and she says, I was raised in a home where a father used to put down this young lady, actually, and her brother, used to put him down and say, never ask a question. Don't ever ask for help because if you ask for help, you're stupid. So you need to learn to find the answers your own way so you have some pride. Do you know what that father just told that kid? That girl, you got to do it your own way. See, in the kingdom, you come as one who is a child. You come as a child. You know what's amazing to me to, today? This is something that blows my mind. Today, people don't go to those who are older in the Lord, which the Bible says in Proverbs 1. I, I, I challenge you to read the book of Proverbs. The Bible says a foolish man goes to his peers, but a wise man will go to those who have gray hair. You know what we need to do? I don't want to go ask for help. I don't need wisdom from anybody, so I will go on the internet and find out how to be a good father and mother, raise my kids. What happened to what the Bible says? The Bible says go to those who are older, gray hair, maybe even bald-headed. I, read it. It's in the Proverbs. And guess what happened? Guess what the end is of going to your peers? They all end up in a crisis. I don't trust my peers. I want to trust those who have gone before me. We have a pastor rave. "What if, what if they're kind of crooked and nasty, and they've really hurt me before?" Well, you can find someone that's wise. There's wisdom. But here we find that Jesus says, "I want you to have life," and He says, "I don't receive honor, verse 41, from men, but I know you." This is what Jesus is saying: "I know you that you do not have the love." Of God. You don't have the love of God. There's no love in your life for God. There's no passion. Jesus wasn't saying that to condemn him. What he was saying is, guys, you're operating out of a religious, mechanical system and you're dying. How many of you know that faith works by love? If you're not in love, You have no faith. And if you have no faith, you have no passion. If you have no passion, you have no motivation. If you have no motivation, then the culture is dead. There's no culture. There's no grid. So what do I do? I check out what the world wants. more concerned about what my friends say, what the culture says. Jesus said that the basis of great faith, he says there's three things in my culture, life, Love, and the last thing is this, is I, I receive honor from my Father. When you're in the culture of the kingdom, it's life, love, and honor. And you know what? When you're living in life, love, and honor, you're contagious, and you begin to see others through a different grid. And you know what that grid is? That grid is life. You want to bring life, even when people are dead. When you're in the culture of the kingdom, You begin to love like Jesus loved and had compassion for the broken. I wish I could raise my sons all over again. I have a great family, my sons, Jared, David, and Aaron, all sons. But I failed as a father. I I put the ministry ahead of it. My kids... I think, so. I know they suffered. They, they let me know. Some of them just let me know that, which things could have been different. I didn't do well. I know now more than I did. I've apologized to my sons, and I needed to. But you know what I was doing, what I was not doing? I was not empowering life, love, and honor. I was telling them what they needed to do without helping them see the beauty of why we're doing it, and it's because Jesus is worth it. And I failed in that area as a father. I even failed as a pastor in that way. I'm just being honest with you. But God has showed me. He says, Ray, you can make a change because you're not as old as Abraham. I'm 63. Do you know when God first spoke to Abraham? He was 75! Guess what that told me? There's hope for Ray! God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you a great nation. God spoke to him. I'm going to tell you, it's not too late. It's not too late to have an encounter with God. Let me tell you, the first time I ever had an encounter, I'm done. Life, love, and hope. We're going to move from great faith to dynamic faith to contagious faith. How many of you want to see that happen in your life? The first time I ever had an encounter with God, really short, I was at a youth camp. And the, and the leader, sp- special speaker, asked if anybody would like to come down for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I went down because I heard about it. I was in a church, I was around, but I didn't understand. I didn't understand the baptism. I heard the, the, it, it, the, there was a lot of just how the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence dwelling in you. I had the general concept. But I didn't, I didn't understand the baptism because I wanted to program. I wanted to understand the baptism. There was this grip I had in my brain that I will not accept anything that I do not understand. How many of you know if you are a person like that, that you're a thinker? You may say, Pastor Ray, what's wrong with thinking? Nothing wrong with thinking. But when it comes to the kingdom, you have to believe first and think later. And so when I can't, I, I, let me tell you something I've learned about thinkers. Thinkers are very insecure. Thinkers are reluctant. They hold back because they can't wrap their mind around something that is actually a mystery. Not only do they have a problem, they stumble, but they're offended by it. That's where I was. And the Lord said, I want you to become a believer. I want you to come and learn to accept what you do not understand. I said, God, that is... a Big, big hurdle to cross. He said, do you want to come and experience my presence? I said, I do. Now, I was a young man. I remember coming down, and the Lord began to deal with my my heart and said, stop trying to wrap your brain around something. In fact, let me just tell you this. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must come to accept the foolishness of following Jesus. The Bible says, for God hath chosen the weak and the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of men. And the Lord said, Are you willing to be foolish for me? Actually, at the time I said no. Just being honest. I said, God, I'm not going to be a fool. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I, I really did. I said, but I want the Holy Spirit. I want the ba- I want all of you, God, but I don't, I need to figure this out. And the Lord said, well, you're going to have a tough time, Ray. You're on this journey all by yourself. Because you're sitting there looking up. You're just you're looking for the ground. You're, you're looking for something where you can, I'm on good ground. Now, now I can come to Jesus. No, Jesus says, come now. Leave your thinking back there. Now, if you're a thinker, that's a tough one. But see, great faith involves, like Abraham, leaving all. In going, but not knowing. There's a going. I'm, I'm going. Where are you going? I don't know. God said, where are you going? I can't wrap my mind. Go. I don't know where I'm going. Some people, Pastor Ray, what are we doing this year? I don't know. I'm just going, not knowing. Well, I don't like that. I want to wrap my mind around a vision. i got a vision. i got some things the Lord's laid on my heart. But I want you to know, I actually don't know how it will turn out. God's asking us to go, but not. But I remember coming down to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I said, Lord, I'm going to lift my hands. You said that if anyone hungers and thirsts, they shall be filled. That's the key. If you're not thirsting for it, you don't get it. You have to thirst. You have to say, Lord, fill me. You have to really come to a place where, okay, Lord, I just lay my right my right to think down the altar so I can become a man of faith, not a man of understanding because I'm offended if I don't have my right to know. And God said, will you release your right to know and begin to move into the faith of becoming what I tell you will happen. So I did I just came down to the altar, camp. I said, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I waited for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. I'm just doing this. Okay. Thank you, Lord. Wait for you to wag my tongue. Wait for you to do something. God, Jesus, thank you, Lord. And then one of the leaders came over and says, okay guys, the Bible says how many of you want to come into his presence? Well, I want to come in his presence. The Bible says to enter in his courts with praise. Or his gates with praise. His courts with thanksgiving. So we're going to have to open our mouth. Now that was new to me. I'm not used to opening my mouth. I I want to sit down and if God he knows my address and he can come right here and he can do it all how many of you know that's called pride I just had a stubborn attitude stubborn I was a, I was a freshman I think in that time I just kind of had this attitude and I, he says you got to enter in I want you to picture your heavenly father as a loving God so I did I just opened up at that time said, Lord, I just, I just receive you right now. And all of a sudden I heard one of my friends over here get the baptism. Not only did he get the baptism, he was slain in the spirit, fell down. He fell down and when he fell down he was speaking in tongues and I turned to look at him and he's just all over the floor. The presence of God just captured his heart and mind and all of a sudden he says, man, Lord, I'd like to have some of that. He says, well, if you open your heart. Don't open your your brain, release your rights to think and open your heart. So I did. When I did that, I got a language. that was a very small language. I can't remember what I said, but it was like, and I'm thinking, wow, this is stupid. This is crazy. But what happened afterward i'm leaving the building something was on me for two weeks i went home from camp i went into my bedroom and the presence of god so immersed me in his presence and i remember my mother coming in it was during the month of august we were summer our schools didn't start till september way back when i was in public school but I remember for two weeks I was in my room and I just couldn't leave my bedroom because of the presence of God. My mother would come and say, Ray, are you sick? Why did not you get out of the bed? Why don't you go out and run around with the cows and chase a few horses because we lived on a floor? I said, Mom, I, I'm, I'm fine. But I would be in my bedroom and I would be weeping. But It was because of an encounter that I had at camp that I did not understand followed by an amazing encounter for two weeks where the presence of God in my bedroom was so strong I felt a pressure on my chest. I would lay down in the presence of God would just soak on me and I would just sit there weeping and I couldn't understand why. But God's hand was on me. After two weeks, it lifted. It was it an was amazing window. It was an encounter that began to touch my heart. But the, here's the thing. I had to get beyond my thinking, and beyond the offense of what I could not wrap my brain around and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know my time's gone. But I believe that God wants us to experience not a doctrine, not a principle. He's going to bring an encounter to this church. Are you ready for that? Let's stand to our feet. Just like the centurion soldier. I'm going to be talking more about the culture of faith next week, our culture. Because as we move into this, God's a beginning Let me tell you something. You'll never have a vision in a dream. You'll never have something that is what I call the new wine principle that begins to bring expansion, begins to reveal mysteries of the kingdom. Until you're willing to say one word, and that's the word, yes, Lord. But I'm willing to say yes to things that I do not understand. Lord, deliver me from thinking. Because really what, what, he's not asking you not to think, but he's asking you to release control so he can take you into the mysteries of the kingdom. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe this morning you may say, you know, Pastor Ray, I know the Holy Spirit wants to bring me into a greater encounter with the Holy Spirit this year. I believe God wants to take me places I've never gone. But I know that I have held on to certain things to control because of fear, because of insecurity. And I want to see new levels. I want to push the reset in my life. If that's you this morning, raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Okay, see your hands all over. See your hands. Keep your hands up right now. Father, I pray right now for divine impartation. I thank you, Father, that these are people who you've revealed the favor and life of God. And Lord, I pray right now, as they as they raise their hands in humility, they raise their hand, Lord, because they love you. They know there's more. And Lord, you love them. You love them. You have never given up and never will give up on your people. I pray, Lord, for a baptism of fire and life upon them. Help them to realize, Lord, that as creatures and people of faith that we can see things, we can know things when we come to realize. Child, I become simple minded I don't try to become smart anymore. I'm not going to try anymore. I'm just going to simply lay the right to think down so that I can receive what I don't know and what I do not understand. I lay that right at the cross this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a hug, and may the Rams win tonight.